You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today, we've got Eric Kostelnik, who is a co-founder and CEO at Postal.io, which is a leading offline engagement platform that automates direct mail and gifting in the sales and marketing world. Eric, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Thanks, Eric. Going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So, I mean, can you tell us a little more about your story and how it leads up to the company that you're running right now? Yeah, sure. So, I've been in sales and leadership positions for the last 20 years. You know, I've sold everything from power tools to cars, job postings during the recession in 2008, and then made my way into being in, in uh, executive leadership in, in four startups. So, this will be my fourth startup and the second that I'll, I, I've personally founded. So, you know, my story can be as deep or as not deep as you want to go. I mean, I'm a sales guy. I'm a sales CEO and a sales founder. And um, you know, I, I'm now building a, a sales technology. I love it. So can you tell us a little more about Postal and, and how does it work exactly? What's a practical use case? Yeah. So over the last 20 years, there's been an incredible amount of effort put towards marketing automation and sales automation. And how do you, you know, create technologies around this, this kind of core infrastructure of CRM? Right. So how do you build the ancillary workflow tools that, that happen and tie into the CRM? And a lot of what has been focused on has been 100% on the digital world. So how do you automate emails and automate text messages and automate your phone calls and you know, set up sequences and marketing automation to, to engage with people in different places that are from a social perspective? And so I think what we've lost is human connection over the last 20 years. And with all of that market that's been built, there's really been no company that's been focused on creating the same type of workflows or technology that can uh, take all the things that happen in the offline world within the B2B sales process and develop a platform for that. So that, that was the original concept of Postal that, hey, if I can build a, I can, I can build a platform where I get every single thing that in the offline world, uh, you know, businesses send, salespeople send or marketing marketers send to customers within these workflows, that could be the next Marketo. And I, I truly believe that, you know, when you look at the technology we've built and now have launched, our customers are starting to see results like they did back in 2005 yeah. when marketing automation started. And I think it has to do a lot with pattern interrupt and just the way people are, are wanting to behave these days. And, and that is engaged with folks in the offline. That's, yeah, that's no, this, this is this is awesome. I mean, uh, oh, look, Hive's, Hive's actually one of our clients. Um, so Outreach, Hive, I guess, how are they using Postal? Is there any case study or anything you can speak to where people can, can kind of visualize this a little more? Yeah, I mean, a great example is um, I'll just use Outside View, which Blake Johnson runs uh, an SDR shop out of the, the Midwest. And, you know, he is a workflow monster, right? So when you think about building these massive SDR channels that big companies like Cisco or VMware outsource all their F SDR work to, these guys have to be dialed in on their workflows to ensure that they're driving value to their customers through opportunity creation in the SDR world. Before they even started using Postal, they saw that writing a handwritten note before they actually started engaging through email, through LinkedIn conversations, through social interactions, through phone calls, that that would increase their overall conversion rate by 2x. So 100%, right? Just if you write a note at the beginning of a workflow in the B2B world, right? And so for him, it's just like, wow, if I could help automate 
you know, some sort of that function. And then I can actually integrate this into a workflow where I can start tracking this within everything that everybody's sending, tracking that and making sure that it's in my outreach sales sequence, that that could be extremely powerful. And he started using us. He was one of our first customers after we launched publicly. And he's been seeing like a 3x lift. So there's no doubt that the world that we're living in, if you're not looking at how to scale your personal like direct mail, your gifting, your donations, the stuff that you're sending people, you're going to be behind if you're not looking at that right now. Wow, this looks amazing. I'm, gonna, I'm actually on your website right now. I'm trying to request a, a sample. But I'll, I'll fill out the forms in a little bit. But um, how, do you guys, yeah, yeah. how do you guys make money? Yeah, so we're a subscription company. So we, you know, we're standard SaaS model. You come in and you have different users. You have integration points. We integrate with you know, all the CRM, HubSpot, Salesforce. We have integrations with Outreach and SalesLoft and, uh, and Zapier and Marketo. And so when you look at the strategy... You know, really what we're doing is kind of we're tying into your existing digital strategy from a marketing and sales automation standpoint and interjecting points of, you know, triggering points of of direct mail or gifting through that process. And so it's a basic seat model. It's not crazy expensive. We decided not to pretend like we're this massive enterprise only company. We want everybody to use this. This is, you know, you can come in and as, as little as $19 a month, you know, you can come in and manage your direct mail and your gifting. And then you have enterprise plans, which includes what we've uh, created in, uh, is AI handwriting. So actually we're taking the rep's own personal handwriting and creating a font out of it. So it's more personalized. And so our enterprise versions, you know, get up to, to $79. But overall, man, there's there's going to be a plan for everybody based on what your technical need is and based on what what your uh, personalization is. Yeah, I mean, it's not expensive at all. 19 bucks a month per user uh, or only you can pay as you go with a 5% transaction fee. I mean, it, it's there's something it seems like there's something for everyone. What other numbers can you share around this? I know you guys raised about 9 million bucks. Um, anything around growth rates, revenues, employee size, whatever you can share. Our customer accounts is coming up to 100, which I'm extremely excited to report. Um, that is a first, you know, We haven't reported that publicly, but you have to remember, we've been only, been only been selling this product for about 78 days, right? So we've been in market about 78 days. So we're almost getting a customer... We're getting more than a customer a day at this point. So that just shows the appetite of what this is. And it's this, it's such a weird, bizarre thing that we're in with you know, the pandemic and, and, and deeming recession. And our business model has not changed. But it's one of those things that actually people are saying, Oh my God, I need to do something differently since I can't make handshakes and I can't go to conferences. And like Postal has been a perfect addition into you know, these types of conversations. And we're working with a lot of companies that are just trying to find like, Hey, how can I create a, a more authentic connection with my customers? And you know, how do we do that? So that, that's really what we've stumbled on. But again, we're just kind of helping everybody through this world change at this point and actually how you, how you can actually capitalize on, on creating connections. Got it. Um, so, yeah. So from, from an employee size standpoint, we're at 30 right now. We built the product for a solid year and a half. And then um, you know, we launched it in May, right in the thick of, of things. But you know, we're, we're stoked. I mean, this is we're we're doing great. So that's awesome. Congrats on that. And I think, um, so this is just out of curiosity. I mean, you know, right now we're in the, in the midst of, you know, the craziness, you know, for me, I actually don't open my mail. I actually, even pre the craziness, I didn't like opening my mail. Your email or your regular mail? Regular mail. So like actually okay. receiving things, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, a little bit, or I, maybe I might take it. I might just leave it at the door for like a couple of days. Do you get any pushback on that? Or is it just, you know, not a from a COVID, COVID perspective? Yeah. I, so they actually prove that you don't get COVID from mail. 
So that, that's a proven fact. Uh, COVID does not live on mail. So you can feel totally fine that you can open packages and mail pieces. I learned something um, new today. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid of that. Yeah. You, you should be afraid of like potentially interaction with the person delivering the mail, yeah. you know, that, but, but COVID does not live on mail pieces or packages. There's a lot of studies out there to support that. But what we found is that, that people actually are, it's like the opposite of email. You get an email and you're like, your reaction is like, Oh my God, yeah. like I, I have so many freaking emails to, yeah. to go through today. When people go to the, the mailbox and actually see something that's relevant or, you know, they have an interaction with someone that's delivering the mail or they, you know, they come back into the kitchen or, or living room and they open their mail. That that is actually a relationship that you're building with them. And we're starting to look at the actual neuromarketing science behind this. And so we're actually going to be doing our own podcast on the neuromarketing science of this. And it's, it is crazy to actually understand how your brain interacts with these tactile objects and the impact that you can have subconsciously on people and with your brand by just sending physical things. And everybody knows like, Hey, if you get something from a rep, like a bottle of wine or a you know, a donation on your behalf or, you know, some flowers, whatever else. That's generally like, Hey, that's nice. You know, but the thing is, is like, and maybe it'll get you a meeting and maybe not, or maybe it'll have a negative impact. Hey, I can't receive these things. But the reality, the reality is it, you will get a reaction to that, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. And that's all we're saying today is that if, you know, if you have a cost per lead that, you know, is over a hundred dollars, right? So if you're looking at like spending for over a hundred dollars per cost per lead, then you should be interjecting, you know, a dollar or $5 per brochure or piece of, you know, note card that you send or, you know, $15 gift basket or, you know, 20, $20 bottle of wine, because it will impact your overall performance of, of conversions. Yeah. It, it just makes sense. So you guys just launched, you guys were building for, you said it was a year and a half You're talking about product market fit. Cause usually what happens when I ask people about product market fit is, Typically, it'll take three plus years to get there. It sounds like you guys are already getting kind of close. So how are you thinking about product market fit right now? Yeah. So this is an interesting category in sales and marketing technology. And just to give you a sense, you know, I, I am, I have a very sales operational background. Like my head always goes to, okay, what can I automate and how can I structure, you know, these sales processes to, to operate independently or with very little human interaction. My sales reps obviously hate when I say that, but the reality is like, I want them selling. I, you know, I want them having conversations that are valuable with customers. I don't want them crafting emails. I don't want them crafting text messages or interactions on LinkedIn or direct mail pieces or what to send or how to say it, how to send it or what to say in those sends uh, in the offline. So developing that structure is huge. And so for, for us, it's, it's really all around just like, ensuring that that is pushing forward and the technology that that we're looking at is is solving those problems. Got it. Cool. So how far do you, away do you think you are from product market fit right now? Yeah, so it's, it's so that's and I didn't get to the product market fit. I was like I was going somewhere with that. Oh, yeah. the product market fit piece. Yeah. So we understood that prior to developing it, right? So we understood that because this technology you can build out there allows you to build the scalability we knew if we built it and integrated it with these systems that existed out there in the world, that it would be a, a quick to product market fix situation for us because we just knew the market, right? So, so sometimes founders get into markets and they're like, okay, I got to like understand how this little piece fits into this whole thing. We just know that this is something that people already do. So there's already a product market fit. There's just not a platform for that. So I would say that like our time to product market fit is much quicker than what, what we, I've had out there and what I've seen out there. 
And that's why we've been able to raise capital early and, and obviously grow very quickly. And so that, that's, that product market fit, I think we're going to see truly what our persona market fit, our industry market fit. You know, we've had to adjust that a bit because originally we were going after industries and personas that maybe weren't a great fit for the times today. So we had to kind of readjust and figure out, okay, here are the people that we need to be targeting. And I, I would say we're probably about like two, two, three months still away from like true product market fit, but we're getting pretty close. Yeah, that's that's fast, man. Congrats on that. And I, I can see for this, it just it just makes sense. Any marketer or sales ops person is just like, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah, I do this, and my marketing closet is like locked right now. Right, that's like what we hear all the time. It's like, oh my god, how do I get my reps to send swag or send whatever? It's like yeah. because it's all in this one place, and it's, right. yeah, that's what we're doing. How are you guys? I mean, you know, a hundred customers already, and you guys launched. You said in May. It's actually pretty fast. So, what's been working for you guys in terms of growth? Yeah, so the strategy of creating a marketplace was key to us. And companies that create marketplaces, you look at just you know, you look at the big boys, right? Okay, how did how did Salesforce set up the app exchange? Why did they set up the app exchange from the beginning? Well, they did that because they knew where they were going to be light, right? They knew their technology was going to be light in certain areas. How do you partner with people and companies that impact the value of your own technology? You impact the value of, of the technology of your partners. That for us has been key in two areas. One, in the vendors that actually provide the logistics of the sending of the things in our market. So when you look at like the localized vendors or the direct mail providers or the, you know, the Amazon or the Etsy or Shopify providing the actual logistics behind, okay, how do you manage the sending of all things? Wine.com. We haven't had to build the logistics behind the marketplace. We've only introduced more partners into that so we can actually create a lar- the largest marketplace of offline uh, communication in the B2B world. That's helped us. And number two is being very close with our integration partners. So ensuring that our integration partners like understand, we understand most importantly, how we provide more value to them and, how, and they understand what we're trying to accomplish and how do their salespeople use us in their own pitch. And so by having a true strategy on both of those pieces, that's helped us scale very quickly. It's almost like we have a three-sided marketplace and we have customers, we have vendors, and we have integration partners. And that's really helped us with our, our scaling. Love it. All right. Earlier, we talked about risk analysis. So how do you define that? And how do you think about it? So risk analysis, man, it is, it's such a, a very bizarre time from an economic standpoint, because you can't point to traditional metrics and traditional like historical data of what is happening right now. Like, there's so much happening on a daily basis from a socioeconomic, from a political economic and from macroeconomic standpoint that all of the things that helped you understand, Hey, what is the risk of my market get thrown out the window? So for folks like me that are building a business, and I think for all you entrepreneurs out there, you have to really just come up with the numbers yourself. Like you actually have to take a look at, Hey, what are the true impacts to your personas, to your industries, the people that you're selling your product to? And not only what is the impact today, but what is the next 12 months going to look like? And you better be prepared to weather whatever storm that is over the next 12 months. And you better have people on your side to help you get to where you need to be. And for us, it had everything to do with, okay, 
Financially, are we stable? Yes, right? So we're doing great. Yes, we have a high burn, but we knew that we raised the capital up front. What did we do? Well, we're securing some venture debt money to get us to another you know, period that we need, that we know we're going to have, and just aligning ourselves from a risk perspective. We're not over-hiring. We're ensuring that we're hiring in the right areas. All of those things from a risk analysis standpoint in your own company, you have to really understand you have to be willing to pull back. Like entrepreneurs generally in technology are like, let's go, let's go now. And I want to go as hard and as fast as I possibly can. It's just going to break. Excuse my French. It's going to break. And we know it's going to break and we'll fix it later. Now it's like, you got to be a little bit more cognizant of the things that are breaking and making small mistakes and not big mistakes. That's a little bit of the way I think about risk analysis. Got it. And how are you thinking about runway now? Is it 24, 36 months of cash left to make? Because usually in startup world, 18, you're pretty good. How are you looking at yeah. it? Yeah. So, you know, right when, when everything go, when started going down, you know, we talked to our venture capital firm. Mayfield is, is our partner. We only had one investor. You know, luckily, we didn't need to raise any more capital than we did. And Rajiv, who has been on the board of, of, of Marketo and been on the board of, of Outreach and Trust Radius, he's had so much experience with actually structuring you know, businesses financially to be financially stable, especially in the early stage. So he came to us to say, you need 24. Right, we need twenty-four minimum, twenty-four, and you know, by two years, we need you know we need to steady our burn. Let's not overhire. Let's not go toward the plans. We had to re readjust our plan, like everybody did, right? And the guidance to our shareholders, but you know, we feel pretty comfortable about our ability to execute in the next two years. And I think that we'll probably be out there raising more capital if we start to see all the the SaaS metrics point in the right direction pretty quickly. And are you, I guess, in terms of, you know, bringing on uh, executives, are you kind of holding off on that? Or are you just full speed ahead? Full speed ahead. I, we hired, so luckily I had a really nice network of folks that I trust and that have been incredible leaders in their own right. And we're fully staffed on our executive side of things. So I have a full staff of amazing, amazing executives and they're helping us understand all the things that we need to understand to build the business. Love it. All right, working towards wrapping up here, what is your favorite business tool not called Postal? <laughs> you know what? I'm actually, I'm almost on a daily basis, I use a, a Chrome extension called Just Read. And uh, Just Read gets you past all the, the blockers. I know all the advertisers and the websites are going to hate me for this, but Just Read gets you past those blockers and you can read any content that, uh, that might be blocked. So love it. And how about your favorite business book? I'm not a huge book reader. I'm like traditional millennial. <laughs> I would consume stuff very in a very short time span. Um, Get Abstract is a favorite site of mine. GetAbstract.com will give you four-page abstracts of every single book that you need to read in the business world. I consume all books that that way, and you'll find that like you really can consume a lot of information when it's you know built in a way and structured in a way that you can get everything from. So, um, Get Abstract is an awesome way to consume books. From a book, like an actual book standpoint, I always look to you know reading the books about like leadership and uh, more biographies. So, I'm a big fan of of Abraham Lincoln's leadership style, and have read his Lincoln on Leadership multiple times, and I'm always kind of going back to that. So, wow. First time I heard about that one. I'll have that. We'll drop these in the show notes for sure. How about uh, maybe a little bonus here? What's the most compelling thing you've watched or read recently? It could be an article, could be something, uh, a video or whatever. 
You know what? This one, for some reason, is stuck with me. I was watching... I'm not even a big John Oliver fan, but I was watching his take on the current economic situation. And he did a little short on... I think it was June 28th on evictions. And I try to stay away from the doom and gloom, but this one's just hit a, hit a chord with me to where the eviction rate of the United States and the eviction rate in these big cities... Are, has the potential to explode due to the amount of eviction notice that have been piling up over the last four months. A lot of the governors have said, hey, there's no evictions up until the end of July. But that doesn't mean that you can't file for eviction. So you know, I think we're going to be in an interesting situation on the commercial and the residential side on the eviction side of things. I mean, you know that like 70% of businesses that are retail just stop paying rent altogether and you can't evict someone right now. But you know, the reality is that's going to happen. And then your residential side of things, that eviction rate has something to be, you know, that's something to be really to pay attention to. So that one struck a chord. I don't know. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, I actually wrote, I made a note. I'm going to check that out. Um, so Eric, what is the best way for people to find you online? This has been great. You can just come to postal.io and, uh, and take a look around. Um, if you want to personally contact me, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always there and, and trying to put out as much good content as possible. All right, Eric, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, Eric. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.